Japan by River Cruise is made possible thanks to your donations at japanbyrivercruise.com, our paid subscribers, and the generosity of our corporate sponsors. Corporate sponsors, paid subscribers, and you, all people who are upset about uh, the lack of content over this last half a year, and also the volume and energy with which I started this podcast. Uh, yeah, what what a great thing to do that we've uh, we've managed to solve one problem uh, by giving people content they're asking for, and then created a new one by not giving them the content that they want. Hello, Brian, and welcome back to Japan by River Cruise. I'm Bobby Judo. I remember that guy. And uh, I'm Ollie Horn. Remember me? I'm the British one. When you said I remember that guy, were you talking about me or Brian? Me. Do you reckon it's been so long that like our <laughs> in-jokes have started to be forgotten? Oh, of course. What would, what of would course. Have, what would have been nice is if we take a break so long that we get we go, we return back to the problem that we face when we launch the podcast, which is people with an earnest interest in Japanese river cruises uh, wondering when, like, when the podcast starts. That's not a problem, Ollie. That's a dream come true. Uh, so we, are, we hope that you are having a great time wherever and whenever you are listening. Uh, we've been away for quite a bit. We are looking forward to trying to get back to a somewhat regular schedule and cruise some new waters and bring you reports on those in the new year. We hope that you will continue to join us. Yes, we hope that you continue to join us. A very loose translation of Korekara mo yoroshiku onegaishimasu, which is a, a euphemism for uh, please, please stick with it, boys. Uh, boys, of course, uh, pronounced with a U. Uh, that's not gender specific. That's a nautical term. Thank you sincerely for all of your support this year. Um, I mean, weirdly, we have, Bobby, we have actually put out loads of episodes. We just haven't put out nearly as many episodes as when we were uh frankly obsessing over this show <laughs> i'm gonna need to see the figures on that uh th- yeah well look it definitely wasn't 2020 levels when we put out an episode a week which is absolutely right, right. mad uh but uh especially with guests as well because they, they take they take so long to schedule um anyway i mean w- what's nice is that we can blame jake edelstein i mean that's the nicest thing about this that i think we brief you know we we basically lost momentum the moment when we tried to schedule an episode with him that didn't happen then it took like four weeks to reschedule all of course our own fault but it's nice that he was involved so we can externalize some of the blame anyway i, I don't uh, i don't know what you're talking about or why we would want to blame jake edelstein he's a he's a wonderful wonderful guy who just gave me a paid spot on his podcast the evaporated available now wherever podcasts are available Oh, now I, okay, now I get it. I get it He's a great guy. I've always been. I'm pro Jake. Go Jake. (laughs) Oh, really? Okay. We need to find a new new podcast (laughs) entity. Anyway, uh, this is a very long-winded way of saying thanks for sticking with us. Uh, We've, I mean, as as I've alluded to on the podcast before, I had to take a little uh, break while I sorted some stuff out, uh, and that is a euphemism. And uh, obviously, Bobby uh, had to take a bit of time off to launch his restaurant, which thankfully is launched and looks great and i can't wait to visit it but anyway this is uh, uh before we we dive straight in for the regular listeners thank you if you're new to this podcast this is a mad way to start you're probably not listening anymore uh bobby let's continue with the intro cool uh we're doing a special two-part end of the year holiday episode we will be doing our official rundown of all of the hottest japanese river cruise news that came out in 2022 Uh, part one which you're listening to right now will be from january through june and part two uh will maybe happen (laughs) 
<laughs> that would be a real cruel thing to do, wouldn't it? To start this episode by going, look, we're sorry, we're going to try and get back on track and then only only dangle half a carrot. Also, uh, I like the fact that um, we, we've gone with the fact that this is the official rundown. This is it. This, this is this is the authority. Future historians in 50 years' time, when they're looking back at 2022 in Japanese news, will go, we better start with Japan by River Cruise. Yeah. Hey, if you can find another uh, 2022 year-end roundup of Japanese River Cruise news, listen to that. <laughs> yeah, they, 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 <laughs> they might meet they might meet promises. Oh, man. It's, so, man. it's so good. Honestly, it's so nice to be back in this weird virtual recording studio. I think something that listeners might not appreciate is Bobby and I only ever see each other on a Zoom-like window. You know, we... Well, when I used to live in Fukuoka, we would see each other all the time. You know, we'd be doing yeah. shows together, yeah, we'd yeah. be touring together, we'd we'd get you know, together I mean, and cook. Exactly, we'd yeah, we'd, exactly. We were we were friends. Can you believe that? We we had actual social engagements, and uh, this podcast, as much as it's a great way for us to meet new people and bring you interesting guests and create something that we're proud of, uh, it was also just a nice weekly and then monthly check in. So the fact that it's been at least six weeks to, since we've we've seen each other's faces, uh, I don't know. It gives me a nice little energy. Gives me a nice little lease of life, and it's it's nice that that I know that all the Bryans are joining us in this moment too. I don't know. It feels good. You know, for me, not only was there that uh, social aspect and that getting to meet guests aspect, but I think when we first started dedicating ourselves to covering Japanese river cruise news, uh, I remember mentioning to you that like it was really helpful for me as a way to stay on top of what was going on in Japan because it's it's right. really easy to kind of check out, and especially during Corona, it was really easy to check out. And for for my week to week TV work, I think like having a little bit of knowledge about what's going on in current events, what's going on in, you know, the headlines on the Japanese newspapers was a huge help in my work life, but also kind of made me really feel connected to what was happening. And when we stopped doing it, when we when I started researching to do this roundup, looking back through the stuff that happened this year, I was like, I don't remember any of this shit. <laughs> yeah, well, that might just be long COVID. Uh, but no, yeah, I'm, 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 to I'm, I'm totally with you. And also, what, what's nice is that sometimes I think for me the best thing about this podcast is sometimes someone wants to talk to me about Japan, and there's normally some academic or journalist that we've had on the podcast that has said something really interesting, that's had like a really good angle on a particular story, and I can quote them, obviously not credit them. And pass off their smart ideas and smart analysis as 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 my own. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean you're you're absolutely right. Before the podcast, you you just used to do that with your jokes. <laughs> that, that, that's right. <laughs> Hang on a minute. Wait, hey, hey, hey. Uh, the t the tables turned this year. So uh, for a long time, uh, well, not for a long time, but for you know for for a good amount of time, um, if Bobby wrote a joke that I liked, um, I would very much consider that what's what's his is mine. That's the mm -hmm. that's the, that was the expression, uh, but uh, Bobby went and did a a stand up set in Tokyo with uh, oh I've forgotten the name of the show what's it called not just a diversity hire that's the show isn't it mm -hmm. and uh, you sent me the video to watch which I really enjoyed and what was nice is you did what I used to do which is flag oh by the way about fifteen minutes in you might spot one of you <laughs> you might spot one of your jokes <laughs> as, as like kind of a as 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 a as a preemptive fire. So I so I sent you the video of the same set that I did in Fukuoka. Uh, actually, the video you saw was in uh, Fukuoka. Oh, but excuse a, me, that's right. Yeah, yeah, Ant Comedy Fukuoka. 
it's just a little flair. It's just a little part. It, it's just an extra little joke to throw into a line that you used to do, which was you said you would say like, when you look like me, which I do, and then you'd go on with a sentence. And I think I said like, when when you when you're me, which I am. And when you just say yeah. it out like that, it's not it's not a crack up joke. But when you're in a rhythm of joke after joke, and that's part of the build up to a next joke, and you're just coming off of a laugh, it's just such a exactly. such a incongruous thing to say that it catches people off guard oh exactly so i used to tell this joke when i used to do a routine about going into a japanese convenience store because i used to explain to you know don't forget i was i was performing a show about japan to mainly an audience of people that hadn't ever been to japan so i was explaining what the convenience store was right and you know there's just so much that's not intuitive about a convenience store so there's a lot of of exposition and, and scene setting to do um and I would talk about how, you know, your whole life in Japan revolves around there. You go there to pay bills, pick up parcels. But the, the problem that I faced in Japan was that every single store sells fried chicken. Now, that's firstly, that's so normalized to us because we've we've lived in Japan. But there's no, there's literally no other country in the world that like ding, sells ding, ding, actual ding, hot, ding, ding, fresh. Ding, ding, ding. Go on. That's how you know it's a Japan by River Cruise holiday special because we're talking about fried chicken. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that hadn't even occurred to me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> very, very good. Uh, so, so now we can finally title this episode. Did you know that Christmas in Japan means KFC? Uh, yes. Yeah, so, so I'd explain how there'd be hot, fresh fried chicken, and I'd say not like some afterthought. You know, like actual proper good fried chicken like someone had built mm-hmm. a fried chicken shop then built a convenience store around it and i'd say the issue was i'd i'd walk into the shop and the clerk would assume i'm there for fried chicken uh, and that's what i'd say you know when I, when you live in japan and you look like me which i do anyway it was yeah. just a nice aside and it's nice that you reminded me of that because i hadn't done that routine in years and years and years yeah. nice throwback. It's, it, it worked so, as a really good like little like flagging line and it's the first time ever that yeah, i think cute. i've i've consciously been on stage and been like this is an ollie joke and done it. I think it only ever happened once that you were about to go on TV. You're about to do uh, Asa Desert, and you text me to say, "Can I use one of your lines in Japanese?" That only ever happened once, I think. I, I, yeah, obviously, yeah. if I could remember the line, I'd quote it. Oh, uh, speaking of speaking of TV lines, uh, I got the biggest laugh I've ever gotten in a Japanese TV thing ever. Like, and I've gotten laughs, but like this, just like straight up brought the house down, and it was in rehearsal. Well, um, do you know the, oh, the Fukuoka? Yeah, the Fukuoka strawberries Amao. They have a strawberry brand called Amao, which is the famous brand of strawberries in Fukuoka. Do you know? And I did not know that. The, if that were a uh, quiz question, I would lose. It's one of those a i u e o sakubuns where each letter, each character of the word, stands for something. So ama ama o u, which is akakute red, marukute round okikute big umai delicious that's that's where they got the name amao for and it's kind of like fukuoka yeah pub quiz trivia knowledge uh and they asked me if i knew what it stood for and i said yeah of course i know what it stands for and and they said what and i said amari nimo majime datto jinsei ga omoshiroku nai to oshiete kureta udon yasan which is if you're if you take things too yeah. seriously, life is no fun is what I learned at the Udon Yasan. And like like everybody did, just Did you just, it was just improvise so, that? Yeah, yeah. It was just oh, like what can so I funny. how do I keep this going? And and it was easy because Amari 
starts already like that's already the aunt ma but then i just kind of like was yep. like okay what would connect what would connect but yeah it was really it's really funny and it was just such a shame that it was just in rehearsal yeah because i mean that's the kind of thing which you absolutely cannot deliver a second time yeah no which which does not stop me from trying to relive it every chance i get <sighs> right and did you manage to put it in the broadcast no, I used a different version of it somewhere else, but but it wasn't as funny as the second time. Right. That's the first this time, This might yeah. be interesting to the listeners. That, I mean, I mean, actually, lots of people that listen to this podcast do, do creative things. But this idea of, like, recreating the first time you've done something. Like, we try really hard to not re-record bits of the show. Right? Obviously... If we think of something funny afterwards, we'll, we'll re-edit it in or something. But I, I, I have a story which, um, which happened to me last week, which reminded me of exactly this phenomenon, that I was doing a one-hour work-in-progress preview of, of what I hope is going to be my new touring show. And just before that show, I was offered a 10-minute spot at a little comedy club. And I was like, great, I will practice one of the routines. You know, So one of the routines which I was going to do in the hour show... I thought I'll practice in this 10 minute spot. And it was the story, which you know this story. I don't think I've ever told it on the podcast, but this was before we ever did Japan by River Cruise. I did a, a show called Pig in Japan, which I did in San Francisco. Someone from Apple, actual Apple, the shop, not the fruit, saw it uh, and asked me if I'd perform in the Apple store San Francisco. And obviously yeah. it went about as bad as you can imagine, right? As you know, performing like, in no an Apple store this. would go, yeah. As literally performing in an actual shop, right? And, you know, the story is basically... I, I don't even need to embellish it that much. It is basically true that halfway through, when there's no context that you're doing stand-up comedy, I just look like an Apple Store employee that's filled in questions. Uh, so anyway, I yeah. told this story at this 10-minute spot. And, you know, people were just bent over laughing. You know, it was one of those things where... Because I was telling it for the first time, I was really yeah. reliving it. And I thought, right, great. I've You know, sometimes this just happens, right? You could just, you could just write a routine. Anyway, I then take that same exactly the same routine i tried to replicate it in the in the context of the hour show and it was the only bit where the audience were absolutely not engaged they didn't care at all it's such an interesting phenomenon isn't it there's something about that first outing what works for some things yeah yeah that's actually a thing in the tv industry in japan if somebody's a comedian or or like a gaining over here if it's their job to be funny then they're expected to be funny in rehearsal and then do something different and still be funny in the uh actual mm. broadcast you're not supposed to if you say something funny in rehearsal you're supposed to have something else uh queued up for on air and they'll actually give you shit if like if if you say something in rehearsal that's funny and then you do it again on air they're like oh you didn't have anything else huh and and it's it's like a a common thing in the industry. I remember the first time I ever went into the Love FM studio, yeah, to be part of the of their afternoon show. And I said, "Oh, what are you going to ask me?" And the, and then the one of the two, well, you know which one. In fact, no, we've all, we've talked shit about him before, Smiley Sam. Uh, he, yeah. I thought he was punking me because he went, "Oh, I'm going to ask you this, then I'm going to ask you this." But then when we went on air, he asked me two different questions it's exactly because of the phenomenon you described where they do that because if you try to recreate the same effect that you had in rehearsal it doesn't work it's 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 that yeah. live first time thing is part of what makes that energy which contributes to the feeling that you get from that and so you you like yeah. even I've n i never like mean to punk anybody but i'll say like these are the kinds of things that we're going to talk about and then when the on-air portion starts i'm a different person like my my energy is of different, course. my vibe is different. The way that I frame, I don't go in and say like I'm gonna make a bunch of weird jokes and throw you off your game, because 
the average person being interviewed like couldn't handle that. Well, the the average person being interviewed can't even handle an interview, from my experience. Yeah, people do. People people do just just freeze up, don't they? It's very nerve wracking. Yeah. I wonder if our energy would be different if this went out live. Well, uh, it's not. Let's uh, should, should we should we dive into? Uh, have we got have we got a uh, a jingle for the news? Well, we'll just do it. Should we dive into the news? The news. If this were live, then there'd be a sound engineer that's just put a jingle in. But let's assume that <laughs> we'd never afford a sound <laughs> engineer. We could never afford a sound engineer. <laughs> No. We can't even afford our podcast hosting. Uh, yeah. We, anyway, right. Let's let's cast our minds back to January 2022, the start of the year. Of course, the year that the Olympics happened. Uh, they didn't, but uh, that's how foggy your memory is. That you briefly believe me. Oh, nice save! You're doing the whole uh, you know, all the years bleed into each other thing. I was just getting ready to accuse you of doing a Beijing Olympics. All Asians look the same. Racist bit. <laughs> Uh, no, well, no. Uh, although, if we're talking about a racist bit, let's just let's just jump straight into it. January 2022, January of this year. It's difficult to believe, but Japan's borders were still basically closed. <laughs> you know what? You know what's also good is I just looked through the list of uh, news links that we have uh, on our shared script, yeah. and the first one is Japan Times, and then none of the follow-up ones are Japan Times because neither of us have a paid subscription to Japan Times, and we both hit the paywall. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> quite quite top-heavy Japan uh, Japan Times. Uh, <laughs> Get it out of the way early. <laughs> That's, that is absolutely true. Uh, we, haven't we hit this issue before that we've had Japan Times journalists on? And if you yeah. refresh the tab too many times, it starts... Um, although, uh, I should probably tell you this off air, apparently there's a way in which you can bypass it, a, um, a Japan Times insider has told me. I recently found a way to bypass it anywhere, to bypass any paywall. Oh. There are sites that just archive the web. If, if you search, like, archive... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. The technical reason for this is sites want Google to crawl them. So what they do is they'll they'll put the content behind a paywall, but they'll submit their content to a Google crawler, uh, and so it's that that they um, that they grab. Yeah. What a what an absolute tangent! I mean, what we've done now we've made a promise about Japan River Cruise news, not met that promise. Then we made a separate promise about covering actual Japan news, not met not met that promise. Uh, and we're talking about how um, how paywalls work. Anyway, it's kind of like not meeting promises is a part of our brand. Hey, maybe that's our thing. Maybe maybe we should just rebrand as being like toxic online guys. We have uh, covered the story a number of times on the podcast. In fact, you know, mm. Japan border closures were, I think, some of our biggest episodes in 2020, with yeah. people going, "Well, you know, you know, make, make, make people making the comparisons to to when Japan." you know, closed its borders for, for decades and decades and decades and didn't trade, you know, how Japan always wanted to do this, blah, 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 blah. And then mm. a lot of people going, no, that's reductionist thinking. Japan isn't just, you know, a country that wants to lock itself down. Turns out those people might have been right because Japan basically kept its borders shut to legitimate visa holders for almost the longest of anyone. I mean, China opened up their borders to visa yeah. holders before Japan did. So... January 2020, there were still 
this is what two years into in, into COVID's uh, COVID's launch. Yeah, uh, there were still hundreds of thousands of non-Japanese students who had been given their offers, often paid their tuition fees. Uh, often, you know, made life plans, you know, f- finished their degrees in their home country, whatever, uh, and were just waiting for, for some edict uh, to say that they were allowed to, to make good their visa. It's really, and don't forget, this is in the context of, I think January 2020, Japanese citizens could essentially come and go freely, couldn't they? Yeah, yeah. Uh, since before then, they could come and go pretty freely with with minimal like um, quarantine restrictions and testing restrictions. And I know we kind of wanted to do this month by month, but I mean, the thing that I found interesting when researching kind of like what was in the news uh, in the different months of this year, there were some real clear trends. And it was just like story after story after story about border closures, border restrictions, COVID numbers... Mm tourism and getting ready to open like getting ready to open for tourism then before that getting ready to announce that they were going to open for tourism and then getting ready to get ready (laughs) to announce that they were opening for tourism and also um the yen so that was the last one was like like just this looking back over the progression of things getting worse and worse you'd see an article like yen hits the like all-time low since the 1960s or something like that and i'd be like oh yeah it's so bad and i'd pull it up and it was like the yen hits 126. it was like (laughs) that was (laughs) so much better just really clearly identified how how worse it's gotten and you'd think that these two stories should be related you know one of the positives of a of a weak currency is that it's supposed to attract tourists japan is on sale uh yeah. vis-a-vis the rest of the world but japan seems to have missed a trick uh, see, i see i don't know i actually don't know what my opinion on this is do you think you know at the time you had a lot of people saying well this is going to be so damaging to japan's soft power you've got people who were planning to do their masters or phds in japan uh, and then because they were messed around so much they've lost money they've lost career opportunities they'll go somewhere else they'll you know they'll they'll they'll, they'll find another path and so there's there's definitely probably well not even definitely yeah, why not? Why not just be committal? That's what you're supposed to do online, isn't it? You're supposed to just uh, you say the most extreme version of a view. There's definitely a generation of people uh, who have been messed around by Japan. And certainly if I was 22 years old, I probably wouldn't have cared enough um, to wait two years to go and do my exchange yeah. program. You know, I would have just gone, fine. Or what? I want to do the exchange. I don't necessarily want to do it in, in, in Japan. If another country is offering me, you know, similar terms. So I, I do reckon yeah. there is a, a group of, of people, of kind of Japan fanatics, you know, people that really cared about Japan that have stopped cared or feel a bit let down by Japan. But I think the kind of the general population of tourists, like I think about my friends who have got nothing to do with Japan that have been considering Japan for their holiday this year, either at the end of this year, 2022, or the start of next year. They're not really aware of of quite how pernicious the border closures were you know i i i'm not persuaded that this news has kind of seeped into the mainstream consciousness what do you think i would agree that um the treatment of foreigners by japan in terms of entry restrictions and border closings i would agree that that has not affected your average run-of-the-mill tourists desire to come to japan that said i know tourism is still dismal the numbers are still horrible um and that the economic impact of uh 
reduced tourism in Japan uh, is having a huge effect uh, on people's livelihoods and lives. And it's not just uh, tourists coming in from overseas. It's, I think, people have not yet gotten back into the mindset of going out to do things in crowds, go to events, go to uh, restaurants, to go out and spend money. I think I think there's a certain segment of the population that like got used to staying home and hasn't yet resumed life normally. I remember when we had your friend Andy on from what was it Singapore? Andy Curtin. Yeah, so he, well he was he was based in Hong Kong and now well he was based in Shanghai and then he got kicked out of there. Uh then he was based in Hong Kong, then he essentially got kicked out of there. Now he's in um Australia, but yeah. But he he was talking about how as soon as the restrictions are lifted, everybody's going to run back to everything. And I, I think that hasn't happened in Japan. And I know restaurants are still struggling. The tourism industry is still struggling really hard. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I think it's probably a bit more nuanced. I think someone like Andy, who is young, healthy, you know, has lived a fairly global life. And Andy is a um, well. He now works for Live Nation as a as a as a tour promoter for for big name comedians. Uh, but at the time, he was running comedy clubs in Southeast Asia, so he was always quite mobile. You know, he always had a a fairly fluid um, perception of the world. So I think for someone like him, he was ready. He already had the elasticity to bounce back. But I think yeah, you. I mean, you might be right. This is something which I think you have a much better feel of on the ground than I do. And I think. Though we we have listeners all over the world, and I think, uh, you know, okay, I, I'll, I'll give one example. I noticed even within Europe, different European countries having a very different relationship with the mask. For example, you know, wearing a mask on public transport. Just to clarify, do you mean the 1994 Jim Carrey movie or the mask? Uh, uh, yes, that's exactly it. Uh, allow, 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 allow me to, to tell you what I think Germans think about Flubber. Uh, so... <laughs> Nice. A very yeah. We're, bringing we're, back we're, one of the earliest in jokes. You have to that's, do that's a, a deep a, dive a, a into OG the archives for that one. But yeah, I mean, different. Even different European countries have a different relationship with the mask. And in some instances, I'd say in the UK, we've done it pretty badly. You can kind of be ridiculed for wearing a mask. Whereas other European countries, they maintained mask wearing on public transport. Like right now, they've even removed the requirement to wear masks in care homes in the UK, which seems like a good thing to do anyway during a flu season. But, you know, uh, we, we digress. The point is, I... Uh, I, I, I don't know enough about, about how kind of Japanese people are feeling. However, I did notice, perhaps you saw this too. Oh, no, you didn't because you're off Twitter for a bit. Rochelle Kopp, friend of the show, mm-hmm. uh, I like saying that, retweeted a uh, a survey or rather res- the results of a survey f- that claims to be from CNBC, which said that 35% of Japanese people polled said they would never travel again, the highest out of uh, 15 countries. So, you know, under uh, the UK, for example, the figure was 8%, uh, India was 10%, Mexico 11%. Uh, the highest after Japan was South Korea, 15%. Now, Rochelle uh, gave a very Rochelle take, uh, which is, uh, let's find some nuance here, uh, which is not what we're looking for, Rochelle. Uh mm. 
but basically Rochelle asked the question, well, how carefully was this question translated? Um, and also noted that the poll was taken over the summer where you still needed a negative PCR test to return to Japan. Remember the PCR test being the more expensive and, and bothersome of the two. And did they compare that at all to whether or not those Japanese people were the kind of people who traveled in the first place? Because Japan's also got a really, really high rate of people not going overseas at all like I, w I wouldn't be surprised if that number was 30 percent pre-covid <laughs> right okay yeah sure and and this is now the reason they've now got yeah. good reason yeah 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 P possibly but I, I i suppose the the story in january was was that there was still a bunch of students not not not, not able to get in now japan used to really care about the soft power it was generating from the students. I mean, you know, we've talked on the show before about how the JET program, which is the program that, that uh, allowed you to come to Japan for the first time, which is ostensibly a program about uh, getting non, getting native English speakers to teach in Japanese schools. Um, but what it's actually about is generating a whole bunch of soft power. You know, I think it, it was an, an express aim of the program that, that, past jets would end up being thought leaders and politicians back in their home countries and and would have some fondness for japan mm. uh, likewise with the mex program which i was the beneficiary of which is where the japanese government just gives you a whole bunch of money to, to to basically pursue any any kind of academia uh you know that that again was you know was there in, in the hope of, of fostering bilateral relations with, with other countries but in terms of where Japan really makes its money, which is loads and loads and loads of tourists turning yeah. up en masse and spending abs an absolute shit ton of money, that might not have been affected now. I'm not sure. You're saying that ideologically, is that right? I think of a friend who messaged me during the summer this year. So it was, it was about August. And they asked me for Japan travel tips. They didn't even know that the borders were previously closed. You know, they, 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 they just could see that they could book flights. You know, they weren't even aware of the travel ban. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you, but I'm, I'm saying, yes, in principle, I think the vast majority of travelers uh, do not factor into, it, they don't make their calculations based on what Japan's policy was and entry restrictions for visa holding foreigners or things like that. They don't even know about it. So yeah, it doesn't factor into whether or not they want to go here. But in terms of whether or not that, you know, tourists showing up in huge numbers to bolster Japan's economy is happening right now, it's not. Sure. I, I, there's probably other reasons for that. So speaking of uh, bringing foreigners over to Japan, should we go ahead and jump into our February 2022 story? February 2022 was when uh, the Japan International Cooperation Agency uh, released a study that projected that Japan will need 6.74 million foreign workers by 2040, which is four times more foreign workers than Japan currently has today. Uh, and this is, again, because of Japan's aging population, Japan's labor shortage. They, they will need 6.74 million foreign workers to support the workforce in the year 2040. I mean, this this is, I guess, another trend which we've we've covered on, on the show before, which is this necessary tension between Japan's population getting older and needier and Japan not producing enough babies to support the next generation in the yes. pyramid scheme that we call society. 
And since most of those foreign workers come from Southeast Asian nations, uh, the study also noted that they expected Japan to have a lot of trouble attracting those foreign workers because other Southeast Asian nations are also dealing with their own declining populations and birth rate shortages and aging uh, issues. Yeah, and also I guess what's really interesting is as the value of the yen drops and as generally the quality of life in Japan gets comparatively lower compared to, you know in terms of parity right as other southeast asian nations develop and increase their quality of life mm -hmm. uh there's going to come a point where the the carrot for example of a of a of a filipino nurse uh, or a you know vietnamese factory worker uh you know J japan just just won't won't have the buying power anymore yeah so one thing that I, I found interesting in this article that talked about the study was uh, it said that the study assumes so this this 6.74 million is a low estimate and it's an estimate based on the assumption that Japan will make aggressive investments in labor saving technologies. It says they're going to have to be at least as aggressive in those investments as they are uh, towards foreign labor. Oh God. <laughs> There's, there's definitely a better choice of words there, isn't there? No, that's that was that was my joke. But uh, yeah, oh, no, okay. I mean, if there's if there's anything that Japan is good at, it's it's at being aggressive towards foreign laborers. Yeah, I mean, for for those that aren't in the loop, I think we covered this too. That you know that that there's essentially types of slavery that go on. It's it's ever so tragic where people from I think they're countries like. Myanmar that, that was targeted, Nepal was targeted, the workers would come over, pay large fees, pay large recruitment fees, uh, and then essentially live in, uh, in, in, in prisons. Really, really bad cases where, um, you know, Vietnamese workers uh, took their own lives or uh, felt pressured into abandoning uh, babies they'd given birth to. Uh, there, there was one case where that happened. And there was a big case in the news where they had a worker from Southeast Asia who, who was being hazed, which was really just a euphemism for being tortured, was being physically abused uh, at Goodness work. Me. T taking a step back, do you think the Japanese population has a sense of the kind of the ticking time bomb of this, you know, lopsided population graph. I don't. I don't think so. I think that there are some people who do. I think that the average person probably has no idea. Um, and then I would say that, uh, unfortunately, a lot of the people who are in positions of governmental power or policymaking positions uh, are more conservative and still hold that that sort of Nihonjin Ron leaning. Japan exceptionalism philosophy, where they still see foreigners as polluting, polluting the uh, local population and diluting Japanese culture. I don't know if you've been to. Um, we, I know you haven't actually. I know you haven't been to uh, any kind of ryokan or like an onsen hotel or any kind of tourist experience in Japan in a long time. But the tourism no. industries in Japan, even in local areas, you go out to a local onsen hotel in Kyushu, mm. somewhere out in the countryside, and half of the hall staff is Southeast Asian uh, workers. And you sit right. in like the banquet hall where they serve you the kaiseki course yori, where they come out and like they light a little burner and you can cook a little sukiyaki nabe on your table and you've got sashimi courses and all of this stuff and you've got non-Japanese people serving it and Japanese levels of mixed ability. And you can sit in those rooms and you can hear the tables of old people around you literally complaining about how it's not Japan anymore. You know, they've, they've come here to enjoy right. Japan and it's not Japan anymore.
Yeah, I mean, I mean, they're, I mean, they're, they're, they're absolutely right. I mean, the, you know, these old people are right that Japan has changed and will continue to change. Uh, I, I, I think it's something that, you know, I, I guess I, I always make parallels with the UK whenever we talk about these kind of really big uh, problems with Japan. But the UK right now has a lot of hallmarks of kind of a failed state, right? You know, we've been we've been uh, churning through uh, prime ministers. Uh, we essentially <clears throat> have a general strike going on. You know, the tr- train drivers and nurses and a whole bunch of other people have decided not 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 to work. We've got effective wage stagnation, uh, or in many cases, regression in the past two decades. Uh, we've ostracised ourselves from our um, our closest political uh, union, at least geographically. And the the problem I think that Britain faces is we had during the Blair years, which is what, 97 onwards, a period of real prosperity. And also Britain regrettably had an empire that a lot of people still think was a, was a good thing, right? And I think Japan still kind of, you know, the people that are operating uh, the levers in Japan still remember Japan in the 80s which was an unstoppable power, which had essential, essentially growth that seemed like it could never stop. And, you know, just taking a little zoom back, it's totally plausible to imagine Japan in 50 years' time being a significantly smaller player globally than it is now. You know, this, this idea of, 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 of Japan being one of the top GDPs in the world and having this big influence just like the UK, I think is a presumption that is very, very, very easily overturned. Hmm. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I just want to do some quick fact checking before the listeners jump on us, before the Bryans get all up in arms. You cited the Blair years as 97 on. Uh, the first Blair Witch Project didn't come out until 1999. <laughs> it's very, it's a, it's a great, it's a great way to justify not having listened to my point, uh, but rather spend time <laughs> on Google. Nice. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I mean, what's very interesting, actually, I remember having a disagreement with a university lecturer back in the day. And looking back, I guess I didn't have enough Japanese to really quite understand that I think he was pretty right wing. I don't think I quite realized it at the time. But he basically said he was another he was a very, very smart guy. Very, very smart. Very considerate. Real, real, real globalist as well. You know, he'd studied at Harvard, spent time in Europe, uh, you know, really smart guy, really on it. And one of his strongest convictions was uh i don't think japan should grow anymore you know i i don't think japan's population should get bigger i don't think we should try and make our gdp bigger i think we should embrace decline and i i always thought it was a, it was a really odd thing to say but as the years have gone by i'm starting to believe i'm starting to understand what he means which is if japan wants to continue its levels of growth and prosperity uh and and kind of i guess dominance globally it has to basically fight an unwinnable war yeah. because it has to make so many compromises that it ceases to be Japan. So, yeah, he was coming at this, I think, from a slightly nationalistic perspective, which is you know, f- fair enough, uh, that it's better for him that Japan looks inwards and becomes insular uh, because then it doesn't have to play the, the globalist game. Yeah, yeah. Let's have a look at March. So we've got a couple of options for the March story. Uh, th- one sad one, which was there was an earthquake, which, which I think eventually killed four. Mm. That was the one in Fukushima, yeah, uh, on the northeast coast 
of Japan. I think that was the only big earthquake this year, wasn't it? Yeah, so um, I, I'm in Kyushu uh, in Fukuoka Saga in an area that doesn't get hit by earthquakes uh, with the same frequency that other places do. And so I've like, I think I've only ever experienced like one or two tremors. And now that I'm not following, now that I'm not on Twitter and I don't see all the updates from people in Tokyo uh, getting, tweeting about uh, earthquakes, I haven't thought about earthquakes either in a really long time. And I don't think there's been one that's made the news that I've noticed recently. I was in Fukuoka when the terrible Kumamoto earthquake happened. Yeah. And I, I found it really scary because I didn't know what was going on when the whole building was shaking. I could have taken a wild guess. But it is a really unnerving thing to see books falling off your bookshelf. Um, yeah, I remember. That, so that I, was, I course, also didn't yeah. feel that one. I didn't feel that one. I was in. It was in the middle of the Itoshima night. at the time. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think if you were very, very fast asleep and you were in, you, you know, you were not near the epicenter, you would have ignored it. But of course, if you were living in Kumamoto, uh, it was incredibly destructive. This is probably a good time to to retell the story of when I got a call from Anaisan, the no, love affair producer. Don't, don't you've told this story on the show three or four times. I thought you were going to do your kanji dictionary joke, which was also which which you haven't done on the show. That's uh, that's true. Yeah. I used to tell a joke in Japanese, which, which was uh, yeah 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 yeah. You get it. so that's true. So when you get a when there's an earthquake or a natural disaster in Japan, no matter what phone you've got, even if you bought it abroad somehow the local government is able to put a pop-up notification on your screen and if you don't read kanji very well those notifications are scarier because you don't know what it means right so the, the notification might say there's an earthquake uh, and you don't know uh, so my system uh so it was a tsunami warning you got a tsunami warning right and like you can sometimes read the kanji tsunami like you know it's about a tsunami or sometimes it'll even like the headline will also include english but then the content won't so you see tsunami but then you can't say you can't read what it says about the tsunami yeah that's right and so and so it'd be really scary to have a whole paragraph of uh, of japanese text and not know whether it means that you're about to die so my my tactic was I would sleep next to a kanji dictionary. So if I got woken up by one of these warnings, if the dictionary was wet, probably was a tsunami. You're out of you're out of practice on it, but it's still funny. Yeah, that that was that was the least clean delivery. But go back to what we said earlier about yeah. you know that there's that, that there's a that there's a time there's a time when a joke feels right uh, yeah. having forgotten that i ever wrote the joke and then having to try and deliver it from memory yeah yeah uh, yeah obviously i completely butchered it are oh, you used to you used to you, your delivery was so you used to do like a whole act out thing it's like wake up in the middle of the night you get a notification on your phone you see it says something about a tsunami but you can't read it what do you do you crack open the contradictionary and if the contradictionary is wet <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's right that is quite funny actually maybe yeah. maybe i'm good at comedy uh so that's some news but there was also a um uh that wasn't the worst thing because there was uh a, a genuine missile threat do you remember uh north korea th threw a missile into the sea of japan i don't because they've done it i don't they've done so many more missile launches since then okay uh, this was supposed to be a fun rundown of the news. Do we? Was there anything nice in March? Oh yeah, because they always, uh, it's always the nice stuff that makes the biggest headlines. No, wasn't anything nice in March. Brilliant. April. 
So April, uh, I'm trying to remember if anything big happened in April outside of Japan. Uh, I think that was about the time, you know, speaking of uh, Russian aggression, that the whole thing kicked off. And there was lots of Japan news about Japan's response to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Uh, Japan condemned. They officially came out and they condemned Russia. They called the Bucha massacre a war crime. Uh, we saw Russian diplomats leaving Japan. Uh, and then Kishi was offering Japanese support to uh, the Ukraine in mostly humanitarian support, but also things like drones. And then we saw a huge ramp up in security talks with other Asian nations, uh, trying to shore up security ties with the Philippines and Indonesia, um, citing mostly uh, threats of Chinese incursion. But yeah, April was a big month for... Uh, Japan is seen as a as an ally of Ukraine. I think that's that's an important starting point, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, we kind of made fun of uh, the Japan offers to house Ukrainian refugees at the time for a number of reasons. One, we didn't think uh, Ukrainian people would actually take Japan up on the offer, and two, um, Japan has been historically very very bad at taking in refugees at all so why all of a sudden were they willing to take in ukrainian refugees but i think japan's had a relatively successful um program of welcoming ukrainian refugees do you remember in in um when crimea happened which was well it must it must have been when i was in japan i think 2014 this is something i could have fact checked um but i remember at the time japan was criticized because it it, it participated in sanctions which had absolutely no bite Right, because mm. you know Japan wanted to to maintain its its relations with with Russia, but I think two thousand two, uh, you know, what? Uh, Justin Timberlake, Crimea River official video two thousand two. Oh, fuck. <laughs> that's gonna, I mean, it's that's going to be mean, my one, running joke for this me. episode. Was, <laughs> you, you got you, you you actually got me there. I, I was like, maybe I maybe I did get it completely wrong. No, but you know. But, you know, the the annexation of of, of Crimea, um, a lot of the international community responded badly. The UK too, by the way. Let's be let's be honest. We were uh, well, yeah. the beneficiaries you know, of lots of a lot of Russian the money. European community responded badly, specifically Crimea. They did not take it well. <laughs> yeah, they, they did not they were like very it. Very unhappy. Uh, well, and well, not everyone. There was obviously some people there that, that welcomed it, uh, and that, regrettably, is where the tension lo lay. Uh, well, why are we getting in the weeds of something that we've got absolutely no clue about? Anyway, because it's important to Japan now... River Cruise news, Ali. <laughs> Uh, that's true i mean if you're so, wondering uh, why i thought you were talking about the crimea river song it's because of the venue ollie think about the venue the crimea river it's funny why would we, you we, we, yeah. i think we did that joke didn't we the, the crimea river i think you did a play on uh, words thing yeah anyway yeah. yes to, 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 to absolutely great effect anyway where we're at now is uh japan is is doing its dues and and has uh, you know, publicly denounced Russia and and basically got, gone along with, with with the rest of the world. It's going to be on the the right side of history this time. Yes, good on you, Japan. So, did Japan eventually take Ukrainian refugees? Yeah, lots. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I don't know exact numbers, but I know uh, you see a lot about it on the news. Just the other day, I, I saw um, they were doing a Ukrainian Christmas celebration, uh, which happens on like the thirteenth of December. Uh, they have a slightly different mm. saint who brings around presents. Um, and it was 
uh, a very, very well attended event. And they had lots of interviews with uh, all the Ukrainian refugees who had come to participate in it. And uh, I think I remember an interview with a Ukrainian uh, boy who was talking about how great it was to be able to celebrate something of his own culture in Japan and he, how he was looking forward to being back at home in the Ukraine to celebrate next year. Well, that's a stupid thing for him to say. <laughs> Fair enough. But I think also it's, <laughs> it speaks to one of the issues that we raised with the idea of Japan welcoming uh, Ukrainian refugees. I think most of the ones who have come uh, have not picked Japan out of a hat or have not come because it's the only option, but they've come because they already have some sort of connection to Japan, relatives who are living or of working course. here. Um, yeah. And... And I think it's also germane to the point that we always bring up about how for somebody from a country like the Ukraine, if you're thinking about permanently relocating, Japan's not high on the list in terms of, you know, the, the comforts of home or something similar to home. No, of course not. No, no, you, you definitely go to, to, to a country that you've got some, some tie to. I mean, you know, right now we've got the quote unquote migration crisis uh, which it absolutely isn't, but a load of um, a, a lot of migrants coming on boats, the old-fashioned way, uh, not not just uh, t- turning up with a visa, then not bothering to leave, but uh, but uh, doing doing what the Vikings did. Anyway, those people, obviously, the reason they're coming to the UK is because they've got some kind of family ties. Those people, yeah, those people. <laughs> Well, well, I was going to give them a nationality, but I thought even that's wrong because a lot of them aren't even from yeah. that country. Anyway, that that those people thing you just reminded me, I pulled the same trick on my mom the other day. She was telling me she'd heard an NPR interview about the new Pinocchio movie. And she was like, I don't know. Right. like Apparently I, it's awful. I, I heard it's very good. Uh, but uh, she was saying they didn't. They did the the did the interview with uh, the director. Uh, he was a Mexican gentleman, and I was like, "Oh yeah, it's Guillermo del Toro. He's super super famous." And my mom was like, "Oh well, you know, I don't follow this stuff. You know more about these people than I do." And I was like, "These people." <laughs> and she got she got. Nice. I absolutely knew what she was talking about, but she got so genuinely flustered that I had accused her of being racist against Mexicans. It was really funny. So flustered that she probably actually is. <laughs> Very nice. I spent the last month in Paris. Yeah, uh, doing a bunch of shows and uh, uh, vibing. Uh, if, if I can be perfectly honest with you, loads of very very young people from from Ukraine uh, ended up in Paris again because you know they might have just studied French at high school. Yeah, and they had to make a choice, and that's where they had. Well, that was the the language thing and the degree of similarity to your home country is a huge, huge uh, factor. And I remember, I think, in 2021, during the uh, Tokyo Olympics, when there was that uh, Belarusian sprinter who got into political trouble and, and was worried about having to return home, and Japan offered her asylum. And, and she was, like, very publicly, like, no thanks. <laughs> and again, it wasn't... Uh, thank you, man. Yeah. I'm good, thank you. It was like, I can, I can, you know, get to Poland, and I can speak a similar language to what they speak there, and the food is, what I, like, what I'm used to. And it's just, it's just like, it's so different that and if you're going to relocate, it's not real high on the list. And that was one of the reasons why we kind of, like, poked fun at the idea of Japan being, like especially because Saga Ken came out and made this huge announcement about, you know, welcoming Ukrainian refugees. And it was like, okay, first things first, they're not going to come to Japan. And then if they come to Japan, they're not going to go to Saga. It is, it is odd, isn't it? How this particular crisis, I mean, I don't think it's odd, actually. I think there is probably an explanation, which is 
uh, the U- U- Ukrainians are generally white. Uh, you know, if you think about all the other humanitarian disasters that have happened in the past year, uh, there, there is an odd group of people that have become weirdly obsessed with helping Ukrainians. If you go to any regional airport in the UK, there is still now a guy, retiree, with a trestle table, with a Google translated sign saying, welcome Ukrainians, and like a like a welcome pack. You know, like they're there as, as greeters. Yeah. And I'm sure this was a really valuable service when the majority of Ukrainians were migrating. And I'm sure arriving in a country and seeing your country's flag and seeing a helpful person uh, would be wonderful. But I do think it's the same kind of vibes as the first friend that you make as an exchange student in Japan, which is the overkeen Japanese person at a at an international exchange party. You know, like the, the friends you first meet, the ones which are kind of too keen to become your friends, you realize normally have something wrong with them. Yeah. And like now it's got to the stage where like the, the airports obviously are still allowing these people to be there as greeters, despite the fact that there are no Ukrainians on these on, on these flights. And I do wonder what it must feel like to be a Ukrainian turning up to Bristol Airport and just seeing a guy with a trestle table and what he has to offer is a packet of Walker's cheese and onion crisps and a warm bottle of uh, of mineral water, right? <laughs> Which is you know kind of laid out on the trestle t- <laughs> trestle table because that's you know that's there's no budget from anywhere to do this right. This is their own money they're spending. And on the one hand, it's really sweet, but on the other hand, it's like you know you're doing this for you now. This is your hobby. Your hobby is to rock up to Bristol Airport every day and sit on a trestle table. <laughs> and that was the the point of the show that will feature the most uh localized british cultural references not only in the chips but i don't know what a trestle table is a trestle table you know the, the kind of table you take to a car boot like a a table that you could fold up and put in a what's the car your car oh okay yeah we we oh we call that something really really weird in english in american english we call it the trunk we call it a folding table no, oh, right, yeah. Yeah. Well, Michael McIntyre has this routine, right? It's like we call it horse riding. What do Americans call it? Horse bat riding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen where. it. I've seen it, yeah. The trash That's bin, right? The garbage uh, bin so, instead of just the bin. Yeah, the sidewalk. Or the eyeglasses instead of so, the glasses, yeah. Yes. Well, now we've, now we've butchered his bit. Uh, now, now, now Michael McIntyre will learn how I felt when I vaguely remembered a joke. <laughs> so... Well, we've comprehensively covered Ukraine. Well done, Bobby. Uh, that's it now. Solved that's it. that's now a matter of record. All sorted. But it's it's really wonderful. It's really interesting. I've met so many Ukrainians while I've been in Europe. Very interesting. Um, so, well, the next story that we have for May, which we've kind of already covered. I kind of forgot that, that I put this one in because because I kind of I've already uh, spewed my thoughts. Was that mad? Well. The most insane thing that Elon Musk did on Twitter so far that year, which was Musk tweeted about Japan out of nowhere. We don't know why he cared about Japan so much. Uh, saying, at the risk of stating, this is in May, at the risk of stating the obvious, unless something changes to cause the birth rate to exceed the death rate, Japan will eventually cease to exist. This would be a great loss for the world. So I guess we've kind of covered a little bit this idea who of did we have... Japan embracing its decline. Yeah, but who did we have on as a guest who was talking about no, a country does not cease to exist? Was it Tom? Um, uh, Baldinet. Uh, no, Tom, Tom LaFong. I don't remember. Tom who wrote oh, um, Japan's Aging Peace. He talked about... Uh, right. I think it was him talking about the idea that Japan doesn't doesn't 
cease to exist. A country doesn't cease to exist. It changes the way that the country works. You know, on the Guardian article which covered this story, Tobias Harris, also a friend of the show, um, was quoted by saying, what's the point of tweeting this? Uh, which is kind of a, an evergreen thing to say. Uh, but yeah, so, so Tobias Harris said, what's the point of tweeting this? The anxiety surrounding Japan's demographic future is not that Japan will eventually cease to exist, but rather the profound social dislocations that are occurring as a result of the decline to a lower population level. Yeah. Uh, I mean, basically that's, that's his way of saying, uh, you know, like J Japan, Japan, well, Japan's going to change. Yeah. We, I think we've covered this all the time, but there's been loads of attempts to stimulate, maybe stimulates the wrong word to stimulate childbirth, uh, to stimulate procreation. Uh, well, you, you can talk about this, right? You've, yeah, yeah. You've had kids in Japan and know that there's a lot of government handouts. They're, they're doing more to expand uh, the money that they're giving to people who give birth. And also, they have all of these horribly, horribly misguided um, social outreach programs that are geared towards getting young people more interested in romantic relationships uh, because the byproduct right. of romantic relationships is kids. And I even saw one the other day sure. that it was like they they have a, a TV show and a movie that's that's about becoming a child actor, and it's a fictional story about becoming a child actor. But I think a part of it, or an aspect of it, was there was something about a reality show where they were getting child actors to play as though they were on a dating reality show. And the idea was to get kids of that age interested in and ready for and practicing uh, how to do romantic love. And then they, it's all in Japanese. <laughs> it's do, like how to do dating reality shows. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, ne the next generation of influencers. And they used phrases like naka danjo no aida no kakehiki or like renai taiken or renai keiken, which is like experiences about love or like. Uh, how would you even phrase that in English? Whatever it is would be inappropriate um, when discussing right. kids. Yeah. yeah. And I like I don't know if you remember when we first started to uh, like bandy about ideas about um, Comedy Japan back with like Ed Daggers and BJ Fox way, 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 way back in the day. We were trying to do like a weekly um, joke about the Japanese news. And have it like published in Tokyo Weekender or something like that, or Time Out Tokyo. And uh, yeah, the, the one of the first ones that we all submitted as a prototype was about the um, Japanese Ministry of Education had this really, really manipulated statistic that they were passing off in high schools about how the prime childbearing age for women decreased drastically after you turned twenty three. And it was it was all geared towards convincing high school aged girls that they only had until they were twenty three to give birth, and and we generated some pretty funny jokes. It was like you know all, many of the high school students were shocked to hear this, but you know the thirty four year old teacher burst into tears, um, <laughs> or, or like you know the, the follow up material was about the ideal romantic partner uh, who happened to be a 40 to 50 year old ministry of uh, education <laughs> official. That is such an odd, reductive way of addressing it because it's basically like, on the one hand, it's saying, 
to to a small group of people, hurry up. But it's also saying to every woman aged twenty four, to as you said, thirty five. Yeah, yeah. Give up. Yeah, yeah. that's it now. Yeah. You're done. Oh, insane. Yeah. Absolutely mad. Well, cool. All right. Well, we are hurtling now towards the uh, the, the final month of this. You don't want to offer up. You want to don't want to take the opportunity to offer up any thoughts on Elon Musk while we're here. Do you want to say anything about Musk? No, no. There we go. That's the that's the right attitude. Okay. Uh, final thing then June. So this is June, Bobby. What happened in June? Uh, two things uh, on my radar in June. One was that it was finally, uh, ostensibly, the month that uh, Japan reopened up to foreign tourists after the two-year entry restriction. Uh, however, in practice, their policies about who was allowed in, which areas were the risk areas, uh, if you would be allowed in as individual tourists or if you had to be accompanied by uh, a tour group or part of a tour group, were so restrictive and so interminable that effectively i think i think what they only had like tourism numbers in the hundreds after uh reopening right yeah i I think it's easy to forget this but japan briefly danced with this idea of kind of bringing in tourists as they always wanted to which Mm -hmm. is only take them to certain places in a group you know, don't leave that group. Don't don't bother us, basically. That was very short-lived, that policy, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think as, as soon as they reopened, one of the uh, chaperone tour groups uh, they turned into a COVID cluster. But also, I, I don't know it's like if it's if it's the way that <laughs> Japan wants tourists to come in and travel or if it's more that it's the way that Japan travels. I, like, Japan... Oh, that's an interesting yeah, point. As a country is still, I think... Uh, very very reliant on travel agencies i remember somebody had some jokes about like the younger generations like not realizing that travel agencies existed or like you know seeing like an Mm. his or uh jtb and going like what's oh that's still around um not even knowing how to approach booking a vacation through a travel agency um, but Jap- yeah. Japan well, uses H- them. HAS as well because it, it has those big ships, doesn't it? it? It does cruises for young people. And a lot of young people make money by p- sticking up the posters. Yeah. Something that you'll notice in Japan once once I've now told you is... That's not HIS, see- is it? Oh, maybe it's not HIS. But it's... it's you know what? You know you know which ones I'm talking peace about, right? Boat. Those talking massive peace boat. cruise liner posters. Yeah, it's Peace Boat. The posters Sorry, everywhere is Peace Boat. It's, it's yeah, been yeah. a while. Yeah. Yeah. But but they, they just pay students like a thousand yen a pop uh, to put them up. And so students will just go and bother, you know, nightclubs and get them to put them in their toilets and things. Everywhere. They're um, everywhere. They're everywhere. Once you, know, once you notice them, they are literally absolutely everywhere. Yeah. Uh, so we are talking about... Uh, oh, something else interesting I found out is I was speaking to a friend... Right now I'm in Edinburgh. You totally lost the thread. You, you, we were talking about uh, how Japanese people travel and then you got onto Peace Boat and yeah. now you're onto billing, yeah. putting up I'm, I'm, flyers. Nope. Coming... We're coming. We're coming we're, bringing it back. Watch, bringing watch it back. Watch, watch how. Look, we might be out the game, but you just watch. So you watch this smooth landing. I was speaking to a friend who works in the tourism industry here, and Japan is known, even more than China, to kind of have its own. Uh, oh, I'm explaining this terribly, but basically, there are local tourist agencies here, right? That will like organize trips, and they will have re- local resellers. So, like, if you're, I don't know, if you're Moroccan, and you want to 
go on a trip in Edinburgh, there'll be a Moroccan travel agent that will have a relationship with a local tour provider here in Edinburgh, and they will take a commission on that sale. Right. right. Japan still has a legacy of when Japan was sending loads of tourists, that they will be local Japanese operators, often, you know, based in, in London, yeah. that will handle everything. And they're the ones that come up with the tour, and they're the ones that handle the transport. And they might even have, you know, different chartered buses. You know, yeah. everything about it is still geared for the Japanese yeah. market. Well, that's the that's where that image of the Japanese tourist overseas comes from, where it's just, you know, they show up on a bus in a huge group, and they get off, and they take a picture, and camera around the neck and then they get back on the bus and then they go and that's that is very much um i think my my wife's generation is like their style that whole like backpacker japanese movement grew out of a a rebellion against that kind of of travel but right i think it's still the primary mode of travel here in japan even domestically that's the way they travel domestically but i guess it's, it's 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 looking for a different thing out of travel isn't it yeah you know, the, 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 the product is different, even if the experience is the same. So, uh, Japan basically never stuck with this. Now, if you enter as a, as a tourist in Japan, you can more or less do as you please. Oh, if you've stuck with the podcast this long, I'm going to let you know that I'm going to be in Japan in May. Regrettably, only for a few days. I unfortunately have quite a lot of work either side of it. But, um, Golden Week. Anyone doing anything then? Everyone. Uh, I'm going to be in Japan in Golden Week. <laughs> yeah exactly i think that's the literally the worst time to put on a comedy show so that's when i'm going to be doing it uh more on that at some point i'll tweet it out or put it on my mailing list or something but i hope to see you in tokyo or fukuoka uh if you are there during golden week the worst time to do anything the other story from june from june uh was the culmination of uh what happened with pro wrestler and reality tv star uh kimura hana who died by suicide after facing severe severe uh bullying bullying cyber bullying uh yep and it led to this campaign that resulted in in june japan passing a bill to make online insults punishable by jail time yeah c- can you just expand a bit on that story for, for people that aren't aware of, of what happened uh, she was a mixed race. Uh, Kimura Hana was a mixed race professional wrestler and uh, was on the show Terrace House, the Netflix reality show. Uh, and she died by suicide in May 2020 after getting just um, just a horrible, horrible, hateful chain of uh, messages on social media and of abuse. Yeah, of abuse, and a lot yeah. of it was based on her being mixed race. Um, but people, yes, yeah. Uh, obviously, the the story is a bit more nuanced than that as well, isn't it? Because the the producers of of Terence House, which is a huge, uh, well, it's not really a reality show, is it? A kind of a semi scripted show. Oh well, um, yeah, it's that's what reality shows are, though. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, but you know, the, the the producers kind of fell short of their duty. I think they've been sued. Have they already been sued or are being sued? Uh, so um, yeah, there were there were some people who were uh, sued and prosecuted, and there were two men in particular I know who were fined the equivalent of about eighty U.S. dollars, um, and the those results were considered like such light penalties that that it kind of further fueled the campaign to change the laws to make um, to make more severe penalties for. Uh, for insults, which yes. in Japanese well, but, law well, is different from defamation. Yes, uh, well, because defamation is about lowering your standing to other people, uh, whereas the, the, these these laws are about um, people 
looking to, to 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 harm you basically insults i think they they define it by saying that they they're publicly demeaning someone without referring to a specific action whether like something that could be refutable or irrefutable like defamation is saying so and so did right. this and that being false uh, what yes yeah and that that's yeah that, that's exactly it that's the that's the important part of of defamation that it, it has to be untrue um, and it also defamation has to lower your standing amongst your peers or amongst your your network, right? You know, that that that's what's actionable about defamation. Um, whereas what, what Japan's trying to do is to is to basically say if you're if if you're throwing insults uh, at at somebody, even if they're true, you know, even if you even if you're saying Bobby Judo is a nasty piece of work, right? Yeah. If I say enough uh, and it causes you harm, then um, then I should I should be in trouble. I. I don't. I feel like it also has to do with the intention, um, and the the scope or the scale. These kind of laws, right, against uh, you know what what this this word insult means. That that will also probably be down to judicial discretion. Yeah. Too. I don't believe that that's been defined in the yeah, uh, and, and also in, in the statute. They want to make sure that it doesn't overly restrict freedom of speech, and so they um, are going to have some sort of oversight committee uh, analyze it and the results of it within uh, after it's been in place for three years um, to determine whether or not it restricts free speech. So they should just ask Musk a, a Twitter poll each time. Yeah, Twitter poll it. But I mean, they're going to they, they've committed to doing it in three years. So we will cover the results of that on our next episode. <laughs> That's a it. It's a it's a funny thing to say. <laughs> there, there will come a point when people start to resent it. But certainly, my experience. I'm, I'm sure you've had similar messages. I've had uh, nice messages from listeners, or should I say, former listeners? It's hard to know. Uh, saying how much they appreciate the old content uh, and how much they're they're looking forward to uh, to moments like this where we finally drop an episode. So, uh, thank you very much uh, for sticking around. We do. I mean, it would be absolutely hilarious if we didn't bother with the second half. Uh, but we will. Uh, our Brian Box remains open. So, if you want to drop us an email with any abuse or insult, as long as it stays within the law. Remember, remember we told you about the law Within now. the law. Uh, feel free to do so. JapanByRiverCruise.com. Uh, there is a little box where you can click fax us, which is funny because yeah. it's a reference to Japan still using fax machines. Mm -hmm. Thank you for listening. Thank you very much. This would be the point where we generally ask you for donations, but uh, now we're going to ask you to not donate no. any money because doing so makes us feel obligated and we resent it. But we love you. <laughs> it makes us <laughs> feel bad. We're glad that you listen. and. <laughs> And uh, we, we look forward to doing the second half and hope to see more of you next year.